You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, welcome to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Robert Smith, your host. Today's guest joins us from Waco, Texas, where he's the vice president of the Fair Division at the Heart of Texas Fair. Dustin Sufal, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good, Robert. Thanks for having me on today. Now, I know folks inside of Texas fairs know who you are, but for my nine listeners who may be outside of Texas, <laughs> can you give some background on how you came to be with the hot fair? Sure. So uh, I, I love to tell this story about the, the heart of Texas fair and, and, and my relationship. Uh, I actually grew up about 30 minutes down the road from Waco. So as a kiddo, we used to come to the heart of Texas fair and rodeo uh, not necessarily religiously, but pretty much every year. And then uh, once we were old enough to show, we showed livestock here. Uh, I also was a calf scrambler. And so we received a calf scramble, participated in the calf scramble program here as a, as a kid. Uh, after college, I was a county extension agent where I worked with our 4-H and, and FFA livestock exhibitors. So as a, uh, as a professional, I would bring kids every year to the fair where we would participate in the contest, the livestock show. And then later in my, my career as an extension agent, I also became a volunteer out here. And so I volunteered uh, as a, in the livestock show, I worked with the lamb show, and then I became a superintendent as well. So, so I had a pretty good history with it. And, and then six years ago, uh, there was an opportunity to come on staff here and, and I jumped at it. And so it was, it's been a really neat uh, experience to, to kind of have multifaceted approach here. I was a, a participant, an exhibitor, a volunteer, and now I'm a staff member. And so it's been a, it's been a, a great history with the Heart of Texas Fair and Rodeo. And I'm just, I'm glad to actually be on staff now and get to do this uh, every day of my life uh, to make sure this event happens. Yeah. And now uh, clearly I was going to ask next if you'd always wanted to work in fairs, but it sounds like if you started as a participant and worked your way all the way up, this was something that was somewhat of a calling for you that you just were drawn to it from a very young age. I would say that that's pretty, pretty accurate. I, I've always, uh, I remember the first time I went to my hometown county stock show and I thought that was pretty much the coolest thing ever. And so, you know, as a kid, we grew up going to fairs and showing live, livestock was kind of what we did as a family. Uh, and then, of course, being a county extension agent, I was very fortunate that I uh, got to go to all the fairs in Texas, uh, taking kiddos. And then, you know, when I, I was asked to become a volunteer here, it was great. I also volunteer at Rodeo Houston, and I serve as an arena director at the San Antonio Livestock Show. So it, it's, uh, it, it's one of my passions. Uh, I believe in what, what we as an organization and all fairs and events and festivals do. And so it's... It turns out it's one of those things you don't really think about, and then all of a sudden you're there, and it's it's kind of something you've been doing your whole life, and so so it's been a been very blessed to be a part of these organizations. Yeah, I tell you what, when I first got into entertainment, I never thought that I would be doing fairs full time; that that would be my thing. And as I started to do fairs, um, you know, one fair after another, all of a sudden it became something that I became very passionate about. And I learned very quickly, this is not an industry you get into to make millions of dollars, but it is an industry <laughs> that is full of passion of people that really love what they do. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't think I've, I've chatted with my wife, Sarah, plenty of times about what would I do if I wasn't in the fair industry? And I've never really been able to come up with an answer. If I wasn't entertaining, I don't know what I would do. Have you ever thought about if you weren't working in the industry, what you'd be doing? You know, I, I honestly don't 
I don't think about that anymore. Um, you know, when I was a younger professional, I was always kind of looking for the next thing and what I wanted to do and where we were going. And, and I remember when uh, my, my, our CEO, my boss, uh, had sent me the, the job, not application, but the job position description. And uh, I sat down with my wife, Bridget, and I was like, hey, look, here's an opportunity, babe. And, and she read it and she said, Dustin, that's what you've been doing your whole life. That, that's what that's what you've been doing and so um so as I stepped on board and I, as I've kind of grown in this role in our organization I honestly I don't really think about what else is out there because you know and I hate I don't like the cliche but you know if they say if you love what you do you're not working and and I can't think of anything better to do than work in the fair industry uh it is great people from from and which you know from being a, an entertainer I mean as a whole, this is a great group of people that work in this industry and it's fun. And, and we do so much for our communities, so much for young people. We provide entertainment. Uh, we provide family experiences. I just don't know what else, you know, for me personally, there's nothing else that, that I'd re really rather be doing than kind of what I get to do every day now. I 100% agree with you on that. Let's take a trip back to early 2020, as painful as it might be to look back <laughs> oh, on early yeah. 2020. All right. Mm -hmm. This virus is starting to come on shore. The media is making a big issue of it. It gets politicized almost instantly. Then Houston cancels. And that was a big deal that I think for a lot of us watching this, almost everyone I've spoken to thought, you know, hey, we'll be, you know, two, three months, this thing might be an issue. And then it'll, you know, like most things, we'll get it under control. But once Houston canceled, that to me was the turning point that all of us went, oh, this could be a big deal. <laughs> What are you thinking at that point when Houston shut down just days into their run? So it was really interesting, Robert, and, and it may take a minute to tell the story, but I think it, it, it adds it adds to where, where we're going. I was actually at Houston when they made the announcement at four o'clock today, we're going to shut her down and it's closed. And our, you know, our CEO and I had been at Houston working on the open cattle show. And so we'd kind of had some you know, it's like, man, this is going to be a big deal. There's a lot of media pressure. It's starting to get a little more politicized. Uh, they're talking about it. And so we, you know, we kind of internally are like, hmm, this would be interesting to see. And then when the announcement came, it was like, oh, wow, th this is serious. This is real. Um, and of course, you know, there's been multiple conversations and phone calls and your friends. We're in this industry. So, you know, we, you know, I would, would talk to my, our vendors and our entertainers and the folks that we had contracted with and Kind of the general thought in March was, you know what, this is going to blow over. It's a virus. It's going to turn really hot in the state of Texas in June, and we're going to be just fine. Everything's going to be good. Uh, little did we know that that you know that wasn't the case. And so, but we kind of thought that hey, it, it's like the flu. It's going to get real bad, and then come June, it's going to get hot, and th there's going to be something else that that takes over. There's going to be another new new thing, and. Uh, right. But boy, we were wrong. Well, and of course, at that point, I mean, if you think about it from the media standpoint, we just spent the better part of the last three and a half years at that point going crisis to crisis. And, you know, mm -hmm. what new thing is it going to be today? And I think that that might have set us up for being a little slow on the uptake with this, you know, and I feel like for the better part of three years or so, the media cried wolf over and over again. And then this came on and it was like, oh, so this is going to be the next thing. And then... Yeah. It, this was actually the real thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So from, from a leadership standpoint, what are some of the key things that you all did there in Waco to start responding to this crisis? 
so when we, you know, when Houston was closed, when Houston closed down, we can't, you know, we, we came back to work and we met as a staff and, and we kind of, we made a decision to be proactive and we were going to, you know, we were going to try to be forward thinking and, and not reactionary as much as we could. And so, uh, and then once, you know, once Houston shut down, then in the state of Texas, we pretty much shut down in Mar at the end of March where, um, you know, we were no longer coming to the office every day. Uh, you know, travel was restricted uh, from the, you know, just with the whole gut, with the whole state shut down to get a, a handle. Uh, but we started early on, and, and I would say we started as early as April talking about the fair. What are we going to do in October? And our, our immediate thought was, we're going to have an event. We're going to do it. And so we kind of, we, and there's a lot, as you know, there's a lot getting to the fair, but we still, you know, in the early part of the spring and latter part of the spring, we still kind of, we act, we in our minds prepared for a full on, full blown fair, just because that was in our mind, we were not going to sit back and say, oh, we're not going to do this because we're, we were committed to having an event. So as a leadership, our, our staff and our, we have a very supportive board of directors, very supportive executive board in the, in the early portions of the spring, our mentality was we're going to have a fair. And so we kind of proceeded and planned as necessary, like we were going to go ahead and have the event. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you kind of have to, I know when I spoke with John Sykes over in Tyler, they did the same thing to the point where somewhere there in April, they were asked one of their local TV stations said, well, what's the deal with the fair? And they said, we're planning a fair. We're going to have a fair in September which I take as something that when things are starting to get shut down everywhere, that may be a little glimmer of hope for your community that, Hey, this is, there's an end date to this whole thing. And we're going to have the fair at the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. And boy, he told me that they caught hell on their Facebook page. You know, Oh, how could you do this? You're jeopardizing people's safety. And they went, Oh, hold on. Calm down. <laughs> you know, it's, we're, they were trying to give people hope. And, and I think people were just got such, got whipped into such a, a panic that they took that as, as you know, East Texas fair was being disrespectful to everything going on. And, and it definitely wasn't, wasn't the case with them. Um, did you find that did when, I mean, you guys over there in Waco, you're saying, Hey, we're going to go forward with the fair. Did you guys get any pushback from your community? We, we had a little bit um, and because in, in our organization, we're a multi, you know, we're a, a multifunctional facility that has events year where you have year round. We're an event center. Right. So, but in April, because we had a big, we had a big concert set up coming on April. Cody Johnson was coming, going to be a big deal. Well, you know, we canceled it and it was amazing. I say amazing. It's interesting to see the comments and then feedback that you get, because some people were just mad as all get out that how could you cancel the concert? And then some people were, why didn't you cancel it earlier? You know, it's health and safety. So we had some, you know, we had some mixed reviews as we canceled events and, and anytime you cancel event that, and I say cancel, we postponed it uh, indefinitely. And then uh, we, uh, at the end of March, we have a, we have an event that we did cancel and we caught a lot of flack from, from some people in the community because, you know, why did you cancel? You're just, you know, you're falling into the, the media and, that, you know, they're able to do this and they're able to do that. And why can't you do this? Well, you know, our ultimate goal is the health and safety of not only our staff, but our customers and our community. Right. 
And so, uh, so we did, we caught, we caught a little bit of grief, um, but then, you know, at the same time you get, we have a very supportive community. And so there was still a lot of understanding as we had to cancel some events that, Hey, you're, you're doing what's right. You, you know, you're looking out for the health and safety of our, our, of our community. And so, you know, I would say we had some mixed reviews as we canceled, you know, some events, but then we did get, you know, we started getting all the questions about the fair and, and, you know, it was, like I said, it was kind of a mixed review. Some people were, we need the fair, we need the fair. And then some people were like, how could you even think about having a fair? Right. And so. And that puts you guys almost in an impossible position because at that point, no matter what, you're in a position to, you know, irritate and or offend a sizable portion of your customer base. Yes, it's kind of a, a, a lose-lose situation. So yeah. we have to do what's right for us as an organization. We have to do what's right for the community and we're just not going to make everybody happy. Right. Well, and, and I feel like at that point, even now, I mean, we're now the better part of uh, 11 months into 15 days to flatten the curve. And it seems like every jurisdiction has got some kind of different gating criteria and, and what numbers are, are driving their local and, and state government response. So it makes it a real challenge. I mean, how do you, how do you move about and, you know, the best way forward when everybody seems to have a different standard. Marla even talked about when she was on the show, Marla Calico from IAFE that, mm-hmm. you know, they looked at the North Texas state fair or North Texas fair and, and, um, and the fair over in Abilene and, you know, and how can you have a fair that goes off safely? And they used, you know, Marla's looking at those as case studies and how to mitigate things and, and do things safely. But then why is it in Colorado, they've got like a hundred person limit on, you know, 10 or 12,000 square feet of arena space. Well, that's great for 10,000 square feet. What about a hundred thousand square feet? What about a million square feet event center? Why are we still only limited to, you know, a hundred people or whatnot? It just didn't make a, a lot of sense. And clearly you guys were looking at this from the safety standpoint, which is of course, when you look at the hierarchy of needs, people's safety is number one. You, you, there's no event. There's no Disney world. There's no, part of Texas fair, state Texas fair, none of that if we don't have our guests safe. So somewhere in there, looking at that safety and those protocols and mitigation strategies, you all had to make a decision to modify your event. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. So we we sat down as a staff and, and our, our CEO, Wes, is a great leader and, and really did a lot of forward thinking and planning with our, our local and our county officials. And we're very blessed that, that he, along with our organization, have a great relationship with them. And so we took the proactive approach and we set a 60-day deadline. And so we said, 60 days before the gates open, we're going to make a decision and we're going to announce to the public what we're going to do. That way, that way the public knows we can plan accordingly. And still, there, there's most people don't realize, and, and as you as an entertainer, you, you have a calendar that's booked out for a year long and and that's how people make their living. That's how they do it. So we wanted to make sure we were thinking of everybody from, from our internal customers, our internal vendors to our external customers. So we set a 60-day kind of deadline. We're going to make a decision there. And, and I'll be honest, from the spring and the early parts of the summer, we had basically plan A through D or E. And, and so we had because we were going to wait to the, what we felt is the last minute to have an to modify our event. And so we had plans for a full fair, uh, a, you know, 
And then we kind of, we scaled down from there. That was our number one plan. And then we went down to where we could have a, maybe a carnival and a livestock show and a rodeo separate with no, uh, with no vendors. And then we just kind of, we stair-stepped down to what was our, our very last option was we would have a livestock show only. And that was because we, we felt early on, we were approved through, uh, through our working with our officials where we could have our, our equine events. Uh, and with Governor Abbott's orders that fell in line with our state, state COVID plan, where we could have those livestock and equine related events. So that was a separate rodeo and a separate livestock show were kind of our last, those are the, those are the, our worst case scenario type plans. Right. Uh, and as the summer progressed, uh, everyone thought that things would get better, but Waco became kind of a hotspot uh, for the COVID virus. Uh, we are, a, you know, a mid-level metropolitan city. We have a great hospital system here. Uh, and so as things kind of got hotter in the summer, both literally and figuratively with in terms of the virus and the heat, um, it looked like we weren't, you know, we weren't going to be able to do the carnival. We weren't going to be able to have the vendors. We weren't going to be able to have entertainment attractions, but we would be able to have the rodeo and the livestock show based on our 50% capacity uh, limitations set forth by uh, from the state and then the local levels. And so as we, and we were very proactive in developing these plans and we took a, as I said, you know, I can't give enough credit to Wes Allison, our CEO, because he, he was very proactive with our leaders and, and said, here's our plan. We didn't wait for somebody to tell us what to do. We said, Hey, here's what we're thinking of. And so we spent a lot of time developing that plan of how we can, we can seat people in the Coliseum with social distancing approved guidelines, uh, how we can maximize that space and still have a rodeo, still have that. I mean, a rodeo is a key part of, of many fairs and, and festivals. You know, whether you're in Texas or the Midwest or out, out West, those are a big part. So we were able to, to come up with a plan to have our modified rodeo uh, with modified attendance. And then with the livestock show, we had to make some very hard decisions um, and, and go down to at our core, who are we and what are we? And we said we were, we were there for our junior livestock exhibitors. So we made some hard decisions and we had to modify open shows and cut out some contests and some things that are very near and dear to our heart. We had to make some hard decisions. Uh, and so, but we came out and then once we got down to our 60 day deadline, it was, you know what, here's what we can do. Here's what we can get approved. And from that point on, we made the announcement that, you know, we would have a modified event with a rodeo, uh, no entertainment and a livestock show. And then we just, we kind of, as I like to say, we popped the clutch and put it in overdrive and, and hammered down to still make sure we could put on the highest quality event in the safest environment possible. And so that's kind of, kind of where we, that was our thought process as we went to the modified event. We started out with a full event and then work to make sure we can meet, meet the guidelines set forth by the state and then our local officials. Well, and there's a lot. I mean, even a lot more that goes into that because you got to look at budgeting wise and, and financially doing only a rodeo. Is it even financially viable? You know, without, mm -hmm. will you get the attendance that will justify your ads, your, you know, ad and marketing spend and all that. Just so many decisions you have to make. And then at the end of the day, we're all people, we're all human beings and we all 
work very hard to produce these events. You know, on the entertainment side, we all work hard to hone our crafts and, and produce great shows for you guys. It's a little heartbreaking when all of a sudden things aren't going to go as planned. How's your, how does your staff feel? What's the general vibe when all of a sudden it's like, well, we're going to go down to just the rodeo. We're not going to have, you know, the grounds entertainment and the concerts and the, the Ferris wheel and all that jazz. How's your staff feeling about that? You know, it, I'll be honest, it takes a little bit of the wind out of your sails. But at the same time, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I felt a little bit of relief because it was clear cut at that point. Hey, we are still going to do a rodeo. We're still going to do a livestock show. But I'll be honest, some of the, and, and you know, Robert, you work with, with many fairs. We become friends. Um, and and I, hire, I hire all of our attractions. Well, they're not just, they're not vendors. They're not, um, they're not people that we hire. Those are my friends uh, because yep. we all, we all build relationships. Uh, and that's what, you know, the external people don't really see that we are friends. We're family and we all go out and, you know, after the, the, the shows are over, we all become friends. We talk, we hang out, we, be, you know, we become more of a family. And so some of the hardest calls I had to make were to our, uh, the guys that I'd hired as for our attraction saying, Hey, we're not able to do it this year because we yep. couldn't get approved through our County. And, and so it, it, it becomes challenging and, and where we had to call our partners in the open shows and say, Hey guys, we can't do it. it, it it's, and then like our carnival, our carnival guys are great friend of all of us on our staff. And it just, you know, so it, it becomes really hard, but, but our staff kind of, you know, we took our lumps as they came. And as you mentioned too, it's, it's a huge financial thing when, when we don't have the fair. It, yep. it's, you know, that is a, that's a, it, it generates revenue and that's how we're able to produce scholarships and do what we do. Yep. Um, but I will say our staff kind of, we, we buckled down and put our heads down and said, you know what, we have a, we have a bad situation, but we're going to make the most of it. And we still, we are still not going to sacrifice. We, while we can't have the full show, we're not going to sacrifice what we can have. And we're still going to put our, we're going to do put our hearts and souls into it and, and making it work. And, and I'm going to try not to divert too much off your question, but the other kind of key ingredient to that is we have over 500 volunteers that help make our fair successful. And so I know that, that they face challenges and some uh, it's hard for them because they, they look forward to that all year long, those 10 days where they get to show the community what they are here for. Uh, and what they do. And so, you know, we really had to work with our volunteers to help keep them motivated, keep them excited about what we could do, even though there were some of them that, that what they usually do at the fair wasn't going to happen. So it's, right. uh, you know, it, it was challenging, uh, but, but, it's, you know, honestly, challenges, they make life fun. So well, and we it's not to... like it's the first challenge our industry's faced. I, I've spoken with numerous guests that, you know, there's, there's to me kind of a, I don't know if irony is the right word, but it's um, almost mind boggling that we're one going to be one of the last to really open and recover. When, if you look at our history, man, we've dealt with swine flu. We've dealt with avian flu. We've dealt with disease outbreak like we're in the farming and ranching or the agricultural industry we understand mitigation strategies so disneyland can or disney world can reopen but the fair can't 
you know, the shopping malls can reopen, but the fair can't. And so it just becomes a bit of a challenge. Um, and I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how you over you overcome that other than you figure out if you're going to modify, you modify and you go forward with the best event possible. But you, you know, we both alleged, you know, alluded to the financial hit that it, we can all take. Mm -hmm. And for you guys there in Waco, outside of Baylor football, y'all are probably the biggest show in town. How big of an impact do you guys have on that local economy there in Waco? So we'll, we'll take 2020 out of the equation, but in, in a typical year, the Extraco Event Center, we bring in about 42 million annually to the community. I mean, we are a, a big economic driver of, and as, as well as Baylor football, but we also have the Magnolia, uh, Magnolia in downtown Waco. That is a huge economic driver. And, and that's what people don't realize that an event center affair, we, we generate revenue for the county and the local economy. And, uh, and it can hurt all of it. You know, a year like 2020, where even where you have a modified event or you have to cancel events, it, there are financial repercussions for those. And, and as you mentioned, our industry, we're going to be one of the last ones that, that get out of this deal, in, in my opinion. Well, hopefully by the time summer and fall of 21 roll around, mm -hmm. um, the pandemic will be in the rearview mirror, or at least well on its way to being in the rearview mirror. In the meantime, you're still sitting in the middle of a pandemic, and you've got a plan for that 2021 show. How do you go about doing that while you're still, there's so much unknown out there? So uh, it's a daily challenge of where do we go? And, and I find myself like there's some things that I typically have already pushed out by now that we're sitting on a little bit, um, but we're kind of going back and I'll say this about, about 2020, uh, while it was a modified event and it was a, it was not ideal. There's just, you can't really sugarcoat it. It was not what we wanted there. It allowed us to look at our event and what we do from a different angle. And we found there were some things that we did that were actually highly successful and we may bring those back. You know, those are, uh, you know, there's some, some, because of the way our plan was wrote, we had a very strict ingress and egress. Uh, and what we found is when we changed that traffic flow, it actually worked a little better than it had in the past. And so we found some things that worked better uh, by spreading out some species and spreading out some shows. It allowed us some more flexibility in what we did. So, you know, we were, we, there was a lot of learning in 2020 and it wasn't all bad. We learned some good things. And so, we're actually going to implement some things in 21 that we you we were forced to do in 20 not by our choice right but it but it actually worked pretty good but but we're still uh, as a staff we're committed to having a fair and rodeo in 2021 and we we are going forward and we plan on having a full event and we will take you know as we have to make decisions we will Kind of make surgical decisions like we did the last year. We will have a full plan and 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 stair step down as we have to. But um, you know, one of the things about our staff and kind of the way we look at things, we're, we're pretty progressive. We're pretty forward thinking, and and so we we still plan on twenty one of having a great event. We just uh, we'll have a new building here on site, um, so uh, we are in the process. Uh, it should be done around the first part of March. Uh, 
80,000 square foot uh, expo hall uh, was just built on our ground. So it's exciting. How do we change and modify the fair to, to include that new building? So that's going to be fun getting to fill, you know, 55,000 square foot of rentable space right. for an event. Uh, so kind of the way, and, and, but we're also looking at budgets and how do we, how do we mitigate our risk, but still put on a top notch event for our community. So that's kind of, kind of the way we're, that's kind of where we're at right now as we, we navigate through 21. Yeah. So as we're recording this, there's several fairs down in Florida. We're the kind of middle third week of January. Several fairs down in Florida are on. Manatee County is open and full. South Florida fair is modified to what they're calling a mini fair. Um, but they're open. There's guests going and, you know, we're going to see how that all goes. Are you guys in Texas, are you guys keeping an eye on what's going on down in Florida to see what you can pick up and learn from them to apply to your event? Yes. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that, that I like to do is just we like to watch and see and learn because there are so many partners and friends in this industry. But if there's things that they're doing that were successful, that were successful and safe, you know, we have to we have to look at our model and incorporate those things. Um, and so we we talk with our partners and our friends. And and so the, the short answer is, yes, we we're monitoring what those other fairs are doing to kind of keep our eye on them and say, hey, they made it work. Can we implement that strategy here to ensure that we have our event in 21? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to actually see um, on my Facebook feed to see photos of performers actually doing their jobs, <laughs> actually having some event. I know Cheryl down in uh, Tampa, they just wrapped up the the RV super show. And there were a number of performers that were there for that. And it was just kind of a relief to see, okay, maybe the log jam starting to give a little mm -hmm. bit. Cause I know, you know, here in New Mexico, it, it's been an almost impossible standard for us to start reopening. That's been laid down in front of us. Um, businesses have just been clobbered. What level of restriction of restrictions is, is Texas under right now? So, uh, Texas is a great state. And, and so there's some, I would say as a whole, we're at about a 50% capacity. You know, we still have to wear masks, uh, but there's a lot of local control. And I think, you know, as you go through different areas, the, the bigger metropolitan uh, cities may be a little more restrictive than some of our smaller cities. Uh, you know, here in Waco, uh, we're at a 50% occupancy. Uh, in our stores and our restaurants, uh, you have to wear your mask, uh, you know, and so there's there's still those restrictions in place, uh, but we're still able to operate. We're still, a, you know, the restaurants are open, uh, the uh, the stores are open, you know, we're having, we have an equine event going on in the back right now, um, so we have a full slate of, of equine related events coming on, so we're, you know, we're, we're not at 100%, but we are able to operate. That's good. I mean, getting some motion. We, I guess we're, we're somewhat open. I forget what our percentages are now, but I know that in order to get kids back in school, that was my other question. Are kids in school there for you guys? Yes, sir. They are. So they, they are. Uh, yeah, see here, we're, we're still virtual and our governor set out this, you know, red, yellow, green county by county opening. And um, in order for Bernalillo County, where Albuquerque is situated, in order for us to hit yellow, even to move to yellow, we have to come down to like 54 cases per day average. 
which I don't think we've been at the entirety of this time. There was an, uh, I guess an analyst went in and estimated when he was thinking it could be as much as, as many as 26 weeks before we even get to yellow. That's another six months. That's just, uh, wow. My sense is now that we've got a, you know, we've got a blue governor. My sense is now that we got a blue president, all of a sudden those standards are going to slightly change again here in the next 60 days and things will lighten up sooner than we thought, but I don't know. It's just a really difficult standard for, I don't know how any of us meet it. Cause anytime earlier in the year, she gave us gating criteria that we met. And then it was like, Oh no, no, no. This is actually the gating criteria you have to meet. And how is the community supposed to continually recover from that? I mean, mm-hmm. our businesses are in, are in deep. I mean, do you guys have restaurants that are, that are closing that are going to be gone for good or, or have most of yours made it through this? It's interesting there, you know, there have been some, some closures, uh, and as there always are, um, but what I find is interesting is so there are certain restaurants here in, in, in Waco, uh, and, and the little town that I live in where they used to have dine-in seating and all that. Well, they haven't gone back to dine-in seating because their to-go orders and their, I guess their, their, their to-go orders were still at the same level of revenue that they were when they had dine-in seating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it, and it, and then there's certain restaurants that that you can only get it to go or you know you know drive through type stuff. Uh, but then a lot of restaurants that most of the major restaurants they're still here. You know you're there may be some of the smaller chains where you see ebb and flow, uh, yeah. but by and large I would say there's been we haven't seen a lot of those. You know there've been businesses shutter, but but it's not on a large scale. If, if that makes sense. That's good. I think. Uh... I think history may look back and, and it'll be real clear which states were handled this economically, handled it well, and which states didn't. Um, you know, we'll see. Time will tell on that. It's just, I think it's a kind of a, you know, not a great spot for any of us to be in. And we are, I think in our industry, you know, we're a very independent lot. You know, we like to figure things out on our own. We We would much rather just not have to deal with, you know, what the government and getting help from them, we'd rather just go make it on our own. That's just who we are. Um, and as crushing as this pandemic has been, what are some of the bright spots that you see for our industry through all of this? I think, and, and this is, you know, Dustin Sioux Falls opinion. I don't know if there's any research, but this is scientifically I, valid stuff, folks. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I think when we, when we're, when we get through this pandemic, when we are able to to open the gates and we're able to have our fairs and our events and what we do as an industry, I think the people will realize just how much, and I say fun because fun's always important, but I think our, our customers, our clientele are going to realize the true value in what we do because, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll speak as a dad, as, you know, Granted, I work here at a fair, but, you know, it is highly fun and it is a lot of, it's entertaining, but it is great family time when my wife and children come to the fair and we watch the, the lumberjacks or, or we go up and we watch a, a, a magic show. Those are things we don't see every day. We don't get to experience that in our day-to-day lives, but yet we get to come to the fair and we get to experience that family time in. And so I think, you know, what we've seen a very positive too, is like we had in back in May, we had a drop. So we got with some of our vendors and our, our food folks, 
and we had a drive-in food thing uh, where you could come up and you could get your corn dogs and your funnel cakes and sausage on a stick. And it was very successful. And so I think the bright spot is when we get through this, we're going to have a very uh, hungry customer base because people like to be entertained. This is family fun. So I think that, that the opportunities there, once we can get through this, you know, you'd hate to say words like limitless, but, but we, have a, we have an opportunity here to truly make an impact on our communities by providing safe family fun and entertainment that let's be honest, they haven't had to have that or they haven't had that opportunity in quite some time. So yeah. I, I think that, I think that's a bright spot. Yeah, I agree. Almost everyone we've spoken with on the show is, has felt like once this is over and the dust settles, we will be in a position where we see kind of the dawning of a new day of success for our fairs, at least for a few years where, you know, and I, I think you're right. People are, are, almost desperate at this point to get out and feel some sense of normalcy to be able to go to a movie to go to the to go to sit at a dine-in restaurant and, and have a meal with their family or you know go on a date and do all those things that we do for stress relief go to the gym on a regular mm -hmm. basis without having to wear a mask or being limited on capacity or being able to go to the fair i think one of the things that's going to really benefit us in that you know 24 to 36 months after this thing's finally over is economically it's going to be very similar, I think, to what we saw in the fallout of the, the financial crisis in 2008, where people are going to make the decision, you know, it's probably better not to spend $5,000 to go to Disney World this year, but we're going to spend $500 at the fair. We're going to go two weekends to mm -hmm. the fair. And so I think that benefits us in, in the uh, short term after the this thing ends. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, I think as a family, everybody looks at things different now and how they spend that, that hard-earned dollar. And, and I think for those of us that provide local entertainment, I think we have an opportunity here. I really do. Yep. And, and I think another bright spot, um, and it's one of those, I think as you look back, it will be that bright spot, but, but whether we are a, a, a fair organization that puts it on, or you're an entertainer, or you're a carnival, we've had to look at things from a different perspective. And, and I think we've all had to look at a different way to, we've had to change our models. And, and I think if you want to move forward, the worst thing you can do is do what you've always done. And so while we don't really like the pandemic, we don't, I don't think any of us can say we like how it happened. Correct. I think from, a, from an industry standpoint, from all of us involved in our industry, the pandemic has forced us to do things different and look at it with a new set of fresh, clear eyes. And in any business or organization, when you can do that, that's when I think there is significant growth and success. And so I think while we won't want to admit it, the pandemic made us look at things from a whole new angle. And for our industry, it's providing us some foresight now to how can we be better and provide a better, higher quality product for our customer yeah and so, i fully agree i think there's uh, i think there's more than a number of fair you know fair managers and fair boards that i've talked to over the years even when i've done my my marketing social media presentations for for you know western fairs or florida fairs or whatnot there's always seems to be this a little bit of pushback and and hesitance to change because it's well we've always done it this way 
And those are the, you know, that's the famous last words for any business. Well, we've always done it that way. I think yep. one silver lining there for this pandemic is that it's, you didn't have a choice. You, you guys didn't have a choice. You had to modify. And in that modification, you went, hey, even something as simple as our traffic pattern of how we get folks in and out changes. And that's one of those things that you may not realize, you know, for your event or any other given event is a huge deal. How people move through grounds, how they literally drive in and drive out of the grounds is all part of that guest experience. And if this forced us to open our eyes and go, oh, wait, maybe this method is a little bit better then I, I take that as a silver lining that's going to make our events better in the future. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, as you, um, continue planning through this pandemic, who or what are some of the resources that have best helped you and your team? So I think, and as I've mentioned a couple of times now, and I think it, you know, the guidance of our CEO, you know, Wes Allison has been phenomenal and his leadership has really helped us because we have such a great relationship with our county and our city officials and our local folks. And to me, those have been the best resource because we all are working together. We are all in this together. We are, you know, we all have the same goals. We want to have the best community that we can, whether it's a city deal or the county level. And, and we are providing a, a resource for those folks. And, and so I think what has probably helped us more than anything are those relationships that we've built with our partners, because we're able to talk through things and, and make sure that, that we can all come up with a plan. Um, and, and we're very, I, I'm very big on planning. I mean, you know, you don't want to have everything planned out where you get caught in the weeds, but if you don't have a plan, you're already behind the eight ball in my mind. And yeah. so uh, I think that's probably been our biggest resource was our our local our local partners and being able to to make sure that we're all on the same page because if if we're not if if we're not on the same page that really can can make can make everything in general hard and so um, I think working our local officials have been some great resources uh, that that we've had. How long did you say you've been in, involved in fair management now? Uh, for six years. Six years. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew six years ago when you started? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that could be man, a whole show in and of itself, huh? It, it really could. And it, and it's hard because, you know, you come in as, as, a, as a new manager and you have these big ideas and then you realize, eh, you know what, that, that's a great idea, but it's not real practical. Um, so I, I don't know, man, that's a, that's a hard question. Cause there's a lot of things I wish I would have understood, uh, six years ago that I think would have made some of the harder spots a little easier. Um, man, it's hard to pinpoint. What is that? That one thing, you know, well, just oh, give Robert, me an example of any one, like, it doesn't have to be the one thing. Yeah. The one thing. <laughs> So I think this this may apply to a whole lot more things, but but understanding you don't have to do it all, and that though that our volunteers are the absolute greatest resource we have. And, and I've I've worked with volunteers my whole career. Uh, when I was an, a county agent, you know, we worked with with those local leaders and those local volunteers. So I've worked with volunteers my whole life. 
but it it sometimes that just you know what let them go let them do let them do what they know to do and it's all going to be okay it's all going to work out and so you know some of that you know my personality I get a little I can be a little high strung and and I like to have things done very you know precisely and make things work but but six years ago you know just it, you know knowing to go in that hey it's going to be all right these volunteers are great and, and I knew they were great to begin with but really understanding that man sometimes you can just the best thing to do step back and stay out of their way and they're and they're going to do great things because their love and passion they don't do it for money they do it for love and passion and just step back and, and let them do their thing now I think that's uh you know that's one of those things I think it, it's as you get older you learn that a little bit but it's it's never the sooner you learn it the easier things can be and so I think yeah. that that may be one of the things that that I really would have liked to have understood more is I didn't have to be the be all end all to do sometimes trust your people you know trust your volunteers and, and let them do their thing because they are they are they're great uh, we have 500 of the best volunteers in the country yeah i mean it, training people well so that they know what is expected of them and how to handle situations and then let them go do it i i think that's whether it's volunteers or just leadership in general that's a really i'm with you 100 percent on that the sooner we learn that in life to get you you know train your people and then empower them to go do their job and, and do it well, the better everything functions. It really does. Mm -hmm. Speaking of planning and resources, you know, in a normal year, which, you know, the last 12 months have been anything, but we all tend to meet at conventions and trade shows throughout the year, whether it's IEFE or the Texas Fairs Convention or, or WFA mm -hmm. or whatnot. And we do everything at those conventions from education to shopping at trade shows. And I'm curious, as someone who handles booking for your fair, what tends to catch your eye when it comes to entertainment booking? So when I'm looking for entertainment and, and I have, so a little bit more about me that we didn't, I have a, a 13 year old, a nine year old and a six year old. So when I'm looking at entertainment, I look at it. What will my kids watch for 30 minutes and be intrigued with? And so when I'm walking and browsing around, if it's something that I think that one of my three little monsters would just you know ooh and all over those are the things that kind of drive me uh because at the end of the day though the little kids are still our customer and they yep. are when the little kids are happy and having fun at the fair mom and dad are having fun at the fair and so as i'm looking for entertainment and attractions those are things that kind of kind of catch my ooh you know and my youngest ella would love watching that so you know then we kind of uh we kind of look that way or you know what, I think all three kids would sit here and watch this show. And so those are some of the things. Uh, and then, of course, I like things. I like pretty things. I like things that look cool. So, you know, those those real shiny, pretty, attractive, kind of eye-catching things, those always catch your eye. And But but my general kind of rule of thumb is, what would my kids do? Would, what, would my kids like this? Or would they, or would they, ah, dad, that's a hard pass. We don't want to see it. Right. And so... That's kind of, and, and I don't know if that's the right way or wrong way, but that's kind of my way of looking at it. Cause I mean, 
we've hauled those kids all over the place and, and uh, they've got they know they've seen it yep yeah and so you're it, not the only one to come on the show that that is is running things by their kids there are several <laughs> other people that have said the same thing <laughs> Now, question for you. This uh-huh. is one that it, that's kind of an insider thing within the industry that most people yeah. that exhibit in the trade show know exactly what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. On the last day of the trade show, do you have your badge facing forward or facing backwards? And you're smiling because you, know, you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I will say my badge is usually facing forward, but I'm a little more strategic on what aisles I go down. I'll say that. Oh, gotcha. So when you've already been uh, harassed down one aisle, you avoid that aisle. You know, sometimes you know that it just may, you know, I might want to go around the next aisle versus going down this aisle. You know, you know. (laughs) Yep. And unfortunately, there are a number of of trade shows that I have been next to or across from that person. And it's like, just um, stay in your booth, say hi as they walk by. And if they engage with you, then try and hand your stuff. Yeah, and you know, in, in some cases like that, I'll, I may I may not turn my name badge around, but when I walk, I may only look, be looking at the right side of the aisle and definitely keeping my shoulder to the left in case there's there is that one particular. But and like you said, we we've all been there. We all. <laughs> yes, this is the advantage of a corner booth right there because if the person doesn't want to go down the aisle but they want to talk to you, you've got two faces Boom. of the booth yep. that you can get access to <laughs> yeah our, i tell you our trade shows there it's an interesting thing when i first started my first couple of years and i've been pretty open with people about this i thought yo, this is a trade show this is business we got to get in here and, and book my magic show or book whatever you know let's go let's go let's go and then it was like man i've only gotten a few bookings what's going on and so i instead of you know, blaming anybody else. The first thing I always do is look at me. What am I, what am I doing? What's my behavior? What are people perceiving? And I started talking to some folks and realized, Oh, I need to chill out. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so now, now I go to trade shows, spend thousands of dollars to go do IEFE and, and, you know, do Mm -hmm. if I sponsor, if I do what all this money we spent and I'll literally, (laughs) I'll spend three days just talking to people and then I'll come home and Sarah will be like, so did you get any bookings? And I'll be like, uh, I'm not even sure if I talked actual business with anybody, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then January and February comes and I get the phone calls and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, I got business. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I got, got it taken care of. Yep. No, I understand. And that, you know, kind of, that's how my approach is. I, I, I want to visit with you and kind of chit chat and, and all that. If we're going to do business, we're going to do business, but it's just, I like, I like, I love the personal aspect of the trade shows where, you know, where yeah. we can sit down and just kind of, we can kind of chat. I always, oh, that's one of the things I like to do. I just like to visit. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I have found over the years, I, there are fair managers that have come up to me and said, hey, do you remember me? And I'm like, um, yeah, I think we talked a couple, oh yeah, we talked a couple years ago, they'll say. And uh, we had a conversation about such and such, you know, we were thinking of putting you in this building. Well, we finally finished the, the renovation on the building and we want to get you in there this year. Oh, okay. Like, and it, most of my work comes out of nowhere. Um, because the groundwork got laid several years prior. And I think right. more acts need to pay attention to that, that, yeah, we all want to get the booking, get the contract and make sure we have revenue and, and our, we can afford to survive another year. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times that 
you know, 15 minute or 10 minute conversation you have with someone, whether it's at the trade show or maybe outside of an ed session or something like that around the convention, that may not produce work that coming year, but you may have just laid the groundwork for a long term. And I've got several fairs that a conversation like that laid that turned into three, four, even five years of, of consecutive work. So mm -hmm. just patience, oh. have the conversation. Oh, absolutely. And I know there, there are several things that I've looked at over the last six years. I'm like, I really want that, but I don't have the space this year. Or I may not have the budget this year. And, and so there's a, there's a plan. Like when I get it, it's like, Oh, uh, I use the, we had a lumberjack show and it, it took me four years to get that. Yeah. But it was, you know, it's that patience or like you say, it's the patience and it's, you know, uh, like I said, and there's some education, there's some guys that, are, that have done some educational set. It's like, man, I really want to do that. I just don't have the space yet. Well, I'm about to, in the end of March, we're about to have some space. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be really fun to, to see how some of that, you know, yeah, it I changes, think you're right on that. It changes how the that canvas works. that you have to create on, you know, when all of a sudden you've got another 50,000 or 80,000 square feet to work with, or, you know, maybe you renovate and now there's a, there's a built-in stage or now you, there is, something that was there that was preventing a stage from going in and now you can put a stage in or you know all those things it's a it's there's an ever-changing dynamic with our fairgrounds and it's mm -hmm. up to us as performers to just understand that and be patient and build the relationships and you know i get to the point with a lot of fairs now where i don't even send them promo anymore i don't even email them because like you know i'll have a conversation with john sykes almost every year hey what are you thinking about for this year Oh, mm -hmm. we're thinking of going this way. Okay, cool. You know, some years he'll say yes. And some years he's got a different plan and that's just what it is. I don't worry about it. He's going to, I know when he's ready to bring me back in again, he'll call me. It's coming in. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And that'll be it. And I don't, you know, so I don't need to you need to try to hustle on that. I just, that becomes just maintain a, a really positive relationship. And I wish more performers could see that. I wish I'd seen it. You know, we talk about what do you, what do you know now that you wish you knew then? I wish I'd walked in on day one and just introduced myself to everyone. Didn't even talk about my show. Just, Hey, I'm from Robert. Nice to meet you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, listen, is. Dustin, I'm glad I could get you on the show, but before we go, since we're just about out of time, everyone who comes mm -hmm. on my show goes through a little speed round of questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions and you okay. give me your best answer. These will be the hardest questions of the show. I promise. Sounds good. Let's roll. <laughs> no, number one, Boots or sneakers? 50-50. Uh, oh, you'll go 50-50 on See, I figured being a Texas boy, you'd be all about the boots, but I understand the 50-50. Man, I, I love a good pair of Nike shoes. I mean, I'm not trying <laughs> to advocate for a brand, but it's hard to beat a good pair of, of sneakers. There you go. If I checked your music app, which artist would have played the most? Cross-Canadian ragweed. Funnel cake or fried Oreos? funnel cake what's the furthest you've ever traveled from home Ooh, furthest i've ever mexico well that's not real far well we're in mexico so to say that's not real far from where you're at oh, waco <laughs> yeah oh, oh i mean uh los los cabos probably the cayman Islands. you know what I, i'm gonna i'm gonna change that the cayman islands are the furthest i've gone from fairfield texas I love the Cayman Islands. I was there once on a cruise. It is gorgeous. Speaking of travel, on an airplane, window seat or aisle seat? I'm a window seat guy. And if a movie was made about your life, which actor would play you? 
Ooh, that's a hard one. That's a good one right there. That is a good one. Is he going to go to the default answer? It, is he alive or dead? Is the default answer is alive. Oh, man. Wow, man. Because the one I want to say is not alive anymore. Well, who is it? I'd love to be played by John Wayne. Love John Wayne. I could, yeah, I could see that. The default answer so far has been Brad Pitt. People just seem to think yeah. Brad Pitt can play anybody. I don't know about that, but yeah, I don't know. The John Wayne, I could see that. You got, you got just enough of it, like a, that kind of Texas drawl in your voice. That and John Wayne did. I could see that completely. Completely. I'm a, I'm a huge John Wayne fan. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. And you didn't go with the default, Dustin. Listen, if folks yeah. want to reach out. Uh, to connect with you about your fair or ideas about how we're recovering in this industry, where can they contact you? Best way to get a hold of me is through email. It is Dustin at hotfair.com. Dustin at hotfair.com. Dustin Sufall, yep. Vice President of the Heart O Texas Fair in Waco, Texas. Hey, man, thanks for being on the show today. I'm glad you could be with us. Robert, thanks for asking me. It's been a, a real fun podcast. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.